Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, we've been in a series. <clears throat> kind of a two-folded two series. The primary part of the series has been to show the difference in the covenants and that a covenant is, has, uh, pertains to the people that, to whom it was given to. And that lasted all the way. And then, of course, we have different covenants in the Bible, but the Old Testament covenant, as we think of it, uh, refers to everything up to the book of Acts. And then the New Testament begins with Acts chapter 2. And that brings us into the covenant that we live under. So we're looking at, secondarily, the teaching of the Ten Commandments as the root of the law of the Old Covenant. And that the Old Law given to the nation of Israel, limited to them, not given to the world, but given just to the house of Israel, as we've already noted, continuing all the way through to the book of Acts. But when Jesus comes along, he upgrades the law. Now he says things like, you've heard of old, and then he quotes the law, but I say unto you, and then we go from there to where the apostles pick it up and where they take it, because today, as you notice in your bulletin, uh, we follow the apostolic doctrine, <clears throat> the uh, continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, right? That's what the New Testament church does. And that's, that's the one that we're under. So we see a progression from uh, prior to the law. There are some things taught. Then the law comes, added to the promise, added to the promise to ensure that through the nation the Messiah would come. <clears throat> and then that law was put away and the new law came to place. And we see a progression of how each of these Ten Commandments changes. Now today, who can name all of them so far? All the Ten Commandments, where, where have we been so far? Anybody name them? Okay, some, most of you weren't here. Uh, and Tess and Harry, they don't remember. <laughs> but the, you know, the first three deal with things that don't, God does not change. So when it talks about our relationship to God, <clears throat> He's not speaking in the first three. Uh, about anything that changes. God remains the same. He's, he's the designer of the covenant. And so the designer doesn't change, but the terms of the contract will change, right? If I make a will out to my children, they probably wouldn't want to see it. 
but if, uh, if, if I make it out, and then later I, you know, a, a revocable living will can be changed, right? But I don't change. So God who makes the covenant, He does not change, even though the terms of the covenant change. So we have to remember that. <clears throat> then the fourth, that's the first three. Then the fourth one is the Sabbath. And the Sabbath went from a what to a what? I heard it. Oh, that was real close. But you got to be able to, you know, can't hear it. But I heard you thinking. And there's quite a rumble going on in there, some of your minds. But the, the fourth commandment, with the, the one on the Sabbath day, began as a day of observance. But we don't find that anywhere in the New Covenant because now it's changed from a day of observance to the issue of hope to the Christian that we will enter into God's Sabbath at death. You should all remember that. Right? We went through that for a couple of weeks. And what comes next? What's number five? Who can remember the fifth commandment? Honor your father and mother. Oh, yeah. Who said that? Oh, you are so... You have it. As teacher, she got an A for the, a star. <laughs> honor your... And, of course, being a mom, she's going to make sure that she knows that. But honor your father and your mother. We've talked about that for three or four weeks. And then who remembers what's next? Murder. All right. How to commit murder and get away with it. And we spent some time on that. <clears throat> now, Greg this morning told me that he warned me that he had cases, crates of really spoiled tomatoes out front <laughs> and that he had passed them out to you all as you came in. How many of you got the tomatoes? He said, you're not probably going to be popular with this one today. Because what is this one today? You shall not commit adultery. Thou, what? You shall not commit adultery. You shall not on most occasions commit adultery. No. Is that what it says? No. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> All right, well. You see, first of all, God established, and this is important to realize that first of all, God establishes marriage. And in that establishment of marriage, He teaches us the purpose of two genders. Did you realize there were two genders? I know they're trying to get away from that, but there really are. Again, there's what you're thinking. You can't get away from the fact there are two genders. And then, then adultery comes in as a violation of that function of marriage. We're going to explain that why later. Then immorality comes into the picture. <clears throat> and then the Bible comes back and reestablishes marriage. So we're going to kind of follow that kind of a vicious circle here for a little bit today. <clears throat> but if you would go to me, uh, go with me to Genesis chapter two, we first of all establish the first thing by way of introduction. 
<coughs> and that is that there is a purpose for two genders. We didn't all evolve as two genders. That's how God made us. <coughs> Can you imagine evolution explaining two genders? <coughs> and it takes two genders to produce an offspring. And they don't have to evolve at the same pace. And each each step of the process would have to be equal. And think of all of the... How long would we have to live in order to have the first offspring if evolution were true? 650 billion years. You, you know, you got it within two hours. <laughs> <clears throat> all right, let's, let's, uh, let's go right to the text then. We'll go as far as we can as time allows and we'll quit. If we need to, we'll come back to it next week. <clears throat> we, we don't want to be in a hurry. In my age, I can't afford to be. Acts are... Uh, Acts. You can tell where I've been on the broadcast this morning. Um, in Genesis 2.24, for this reason. And if you, you know, if you care to, you can read how God fashioned a woman uh, from the rib taken from the man, that thing. But in verse 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother... And what often isn't thought about in there, that that's emotionally, not necessarily geographically. It's the emotional thing that destroys a marriage <clears throat> too many times. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother. And be joined to his. You got it. His wife. Did I did I hear that right? Be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. <clears throat> now we have to understand that in order to understand what Moses is going to tell us in Exodus. So be, be, keep, keep, stay alert here. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's how it got started. And I want you to notice in that verse that the two shall be one flesh, not one person. Right? They may be husband and wife, but they are still two what? Two people. But it says that they are two people sharing the same flesh. It takes both to make one flesh. In God's view of marriage, being a husband is so different to a particular wife. And it is so different being a wife. Totally two different roles that any other two people in the world can have are found in the husband and wife of a marriage. I want to share with you, by way of introduction today, some verses that are often avoided. That's not unusual. <laughs> 
I want you to go to Hebrews 13.4. Most of this is, you know, it's probably not new to any of you. But I'm not going to make many comments, and that'll be new. But I'm going to read three non-familiar scriptures with most people, primarily without comment. And as we, I had uh, Alex and Greg look up some history on the Geneva Conference, uh, you know, a part of the Methodist system back in the 18th century. Uh, the Geneva Conference spelled out all of the rights and wrongs of a relationship. They had a whole segment on the do's and don'ts of what husband and wives can do in bed. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? That's all spelled out in the religious documents. And there have been a lot of bloodshed over some of these things. <clears throat> so in Hebrews 13.4, marriage is to be held in honor among all. Would you feel that's kind of the thrust of our country today? To enhance that statement that marriage is to be held in honor among all? Is that really the thrust of our country? No. no. I'm glad some of you are able to speak up. <laughs> and the marriage bed is undefiled. From God's perspective, it's just that simple. The marriage bed is undefiled. But the defilers of that are those fornicators and adulterers, and God will judge. You see, this, because, this is the practical side of Christianity. That marriage has in one respect not only the propagation of the human race, but it also has God's design in it for pleasure. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> and I think maybe Paul can bail me out. <laughs> Now do you see why he gave you those tomatoes? First, uh, First Corinthians chapter seven. <clears throat> you see, if there were no marriage, there could be no adultery. And I'm going to define it to you for you from the scriptures, but not yet. We've got to have an element of suspense here. Now notice verse 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife. Now why would he bother saying that to the church at Corinth? Because of what reason? Anybody know? Anybody want to venture a guess? It's alright. Be wrong. You'll, be, you'll get over it. Why did he bring that up to this congregation of Christians? Because polygamy was prevalent in the church. Otherwise, why would he say it? And that's historically accurate. 
But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, not everybody's, not many. And that's why in Timothy, when, every, uh, when he's talking about an elder, he talks about shall be the husband of one wife. Why does he bother saying that? Because it was, that was, the, that was uh, uh, Timothy is written to the church at Ephesus, and uh, uh, Timothy was the evangelist, and polygamy was prevalent there in the church as well. And so that, the one thing that was restrictive is that a man to be an elder had to be a one-woman type of man. How does that raise the standard for you? A one-woman type of man is the literal translation of that context. The husband or one wife. The word husband and the word wives do not appear anywhere in the original text. It's one man, one woman. There's no such thing as wife and husband in the, in the Bible. So when he, when he says that every, every man to be qualified for an elder must be a one-woman type of man isn't requiring that he be married or it would outrule Jesus, wouldn't it? The great shepherd and the under-shepherd does not have less stringent rules than the under-shepherd. And Christ is the chief shepherd over the under-shepherds, subject to the same law. So he's not requiring marriage there. There he is simply saying that the standard is raised so high that an elder must be a one-woman type of man. Do we have any confessions now? We're not done. <clears throat> Verse three. This may this may this may bring the tomatoes. The man, the husband, and by the way, it's just the man, but he's talking about a man that has entered a vow commitment. The husband, and so I'm keeping it in the English, the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife. I think that includes dragging around by the hair. You don't think so? You don't buy that, Pat. <laughs> Must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also, I mean, and, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Meaning that she must fulfill her duty to her husband as the husband fulfills his duty to his wife. And then he tells us why in verse 4. And this is where you can throw the more spoiled tomatoes. The wife does not have authority over her own body. What's the thrust of feminism today? Doesn't it violate that principle? The wife does not have authority over her own body. But the husband does. That's one of the reasons they're trying to devalue marriage. Better not go there. 
And likewise also the husband did not, does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Of course, we've known that for a long time. <laughs> so he says in verse 5, to sum up what he's talking about, stop depriving one another, whatever he means. I said I wasn't going to make many comments. Stop depriving one another. Now, I think everybody will know what he's talking about. Except by agreement for a time when you're drunk. That isn't what it says. So that you may devote yourself to a purpose, to a commitment, to prayer, as it's used here, and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you. So do not avoid whatever the temptation is in verses 2, 3, and 4. He says, now, don't stay apart to where Satan gets a handle on your life and on your emotions. And he says, what will give him room is because you lack self-control. All right. <clears throat> now if you go to verse 33. Now there's a lot more there, folks. <clears throat> and by the way, this is the one place where it says, uh, Paul says, you know, I talked this over with God. I'm being, you know, paraphrasing some of the things that are said here. But Paul says, I've talked this over with God. It's the only place that I know of where Paul said, before I give you this information, it's by consent. I talked it over with God and God agrees. <laughs> I like that. He didn't say that anywhere else. But only regarding the marriage and the marriage requirement and what goes on between husband and wife. Now notice verse 33. Then the big principle is for this reason. I guess maybe we ought to go back to verse 32. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. See, we're talking about the practical side of Christianity. In the previous, and we're going to come back here, don't lose it. In the previous context, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 to 5, their marriage is the solution to immorality in a pagan society. And that's one of the reasons for the hatred about marriage today and the attempt to destroy it. So one in verse 33 now, but one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the woman, how true that is. And the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So marriage then involves the mate having a focus of how do I please my mate. K. 
can't remove that from the marriage scene. Well, that's just your opinion, David. I think it's Scripture. I think it's Scripture. <clears throat> and that's what we're concerned with. Now I want you to go back to Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> Will I be allowed to come back to this? Elder? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I was going to have fun with him. He said, if it said no. <laughs> All right. Exodus chapter 20, because I'm not going to get, you know, I, I don't want to feel rushed. And some of the, the verses we just read, the three passages that we, how many of you have heard those recently in the church? You normally, they're avoided. We're not into avoiding anything that God wrote through His men, prophets, apostles. So we begin with, we begin here with Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. What we've said to this point is introductory to the background to why Exodus 24, uh, 20 and verse 4, uh, 20, uh, what did I say, uh, 14. So in verse 13, you shall not murder. So that means to you folks who don't like what I'm saying now, you still are under the previous verse that says you shall not kill. Even with tomatoes. Now verse 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. And you're going to see that's how it was under the law. Now let me show you what really how it was under the law. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20 because here he spells out the details of that one little verse in there. Exodus, uh, Leviticus chapter 20. And verse 10. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. Notice he begins to spell out the details. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, Now remember, we're going to define when we get into the apostolic doctrine, into the you know the teaching of the apostles, that the reason the word adulteress is used oftentimes, or the adulteresses, is because of the meaning of the word adultery means the breaking of a vow. It means the breaking of a commitment. And that's why it's used in so many ways other than in the, in the ways of sex. But here he's talking about that. If there's a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteresses shall be given a party. How does yours read? Put to death. Shall be put to death. How many favor that rendition? We don't want to go under the law, do we? Because this is a part of the law. This, this is a part of the Ten Commandments. This is what the Ten Commandments mean. And that's why, you see, when he begins to describe the elements of the Ten Commandments, why we go into the sacrificial system, because then you become aware, wow, without the shed blood... 
of the sacrificial system, there is no hope for anybody. And that ought to begin, as we look at this, it ought to begin to open up our eyes as to why the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin is so essential under the law so that we understand what the shedding, shed blood of Jesus Christ means. It has always to do with the sin issue. So we read on. We're not done. But we almost are for time's sake. Um, verse 10. I'd like to read just a few more verses here. Where was I? Oh. Um, okay, verse 11. If there is a man who lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness, both of them shall surely be put to death. Put to death. Don't be afraid to say it. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. If there is a man who lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall be put to death. Did you, did you, have you noticed since we started this the drop of population numbers? <laughs> they have committed incest. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. Verse 13. I'll have just a couple, three more, and then we'll close. If there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman... Now, don't get up and leave. That's here. That's not preacher talking. That's God talking. If there is a man, verse 13, who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a, a detestable, abominable act. They shall... Be put to death. Surely be put to death. And folks, if you want to post the Ten Commandments and all that they entail, what it requires you to do is to put to death every violator. Because if you as an individual place yourself under the Ten Commandments and do not practice the execution of those people who violate that law, it later says you have to be put to death as well. And that means even the church right. doesn't have many folks left. Yeah. Now you see we're getting serious. Let's go to verses 25 and 26 and we'll close. Of this same chapter. Leviticus 20, 25. You therefore... Because <clears throat> there's one more thing I want to point out here that's kind of beyond where we need to go. But you therefore make a distinction between the clean animal and the unclean. This is verse 25 of chapter 20 of Leviticus. And between the unclean bird and the clean, and you shall not make yourself detestable by animal or by bird or by anything that creeps on the ground which I have separated for you as unclean. Thus, and that's, that's God teaching people to make distinctions. We, have, we are to learn how 
to judge according to Scripture. We judge righteously or we judge unrighteously. Jesus said that. <clears throat> we shall not make visual judgments. Things that annoy us. So you shall not make yourself detestable by animal, by bird, anything that creeps on the ground which I have separated for you as unclean. Therefore, how many of you ever ate, eaten a hog? Anybody ever had pig? You're in trouble, man. There's half a church right down the tube. Because they're, they're pronounced as unclean later on. And it says that that's detestable and that God's people cannot associate themselves with anything detestable and if they do, they have to be put to death as well. I mean, there goes my possum. <laughs> Thus you are to be holy, verse 26. Thus you are to be holy to me for I am the Lord am holy and I have set you apart from the people to be mine that's the only difference between the people of the world called Gentiles and those people of God called the nation of Israel or the Jews the Hebrews now he goes on one step further now a man or woman who is a medium or a spiritist you never heard of any of them ever heard of the occult and now a man or woman who is a medium or a spiritist shall surely be put to yeah. folks there's, you're going you're to start at the high school there'll be nobody left over there either those kids are so involved in the occult and that's what he's talking about they shall be stoned with stones I'm glad that was added because it, if it had said they shall be stoned <laughs> you know some of you are really slow today you know here here I'm trying to make a really a complicated you know um, lesson here and anyway they shall be stoned with stones and their blood guiltiness is upon God holds them so responsible that if they violate any of these things we've talked about under the law they are to be put to death and the people who are told to put them to death if they don't do it they have to be put to death don't you ever tell me you want the Ten Commandments hung up on the front of this building now I also know why some people don't want them around and that those reasons are wrong too but folks that covenant has nothing at all to do with us today and if it did we'd have to slaughter everybody that's we just have to become you know, well, we just have to wipe everybody out everybody is guilty in some way or another so marriage was the solution to immorality in that society as well as today in a very pagan society 
And that's one reason why there is so much hatred against marriage today. And folks, we have to surrender ourselves to the teaching and the truth of God's Word. And we must keep marriage pure. We must understand adultery. And we're going to define that more carefully next week as we get into what Jesus taught about it. And then we add to how the apostles expanded on it. And that's the covenant that we're under today is what they brought to us and were the executors of Christ's will. Normally, I ask folks if they have any questions at this point, but I see the tomatoes. <laughs> I think we'll avoid that. All right, let's sing our closing song. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.